I've always been somewhat afraid of the dark. I don't mind confessing this to you, uh, but I say somewhat because I don't think my rational self is actually all that afraid, but my initial inclination when faced with darkness is some fear. In fact, I still find myself doing what I used to do as a kid, a sort of sprint from one light switch to the next. Do you know what I mean by that? I kind of look ahead, see where the next light switch is, flip my light off, and then sprint there as though something might happen between the two switches. When turning off the light before going to bed in the house when it's full of darkness, I kind of look ahead and see, all right, what do I need to know about before I get there? I even keep a flashlight with me at times. Now, the fact that our phones have flashlights on them has been just wonderful, right? Because I use that flashlight all the time. And so, yes, I've always been, and I still am, somewhat afraid of the dark. I'm convinced that part of this stems from the fact that we're always around light. It's always available to us. And I do wonder if people who live without electricity, like, like many people in the world, I wonder if, if they have the same aversion to darkness that I've experienced in my life. I don't know. But I know that I avoid it. I avoid darkness. I tend to have the lights on when I'm awake. Like I said, I keep a flashlight with me all the time. You know, just in case. But I've also grown less fearful of darkness most of the time. But it's taken me a little time, and I'm not sure how consciously deliberate I've been about that, or maybe it's just the practicality of life. I can't avoid the darkness completely. And so over the years of my life, that fear has receded, and my relationship with the darkness has changed. You are the light of the world. If you asked me who the light of the world is, if I hadn't heard this scripture that Condi read for us, or if you weren't familiar with the passage, I think I'd give the Sunday school answer to every question, right? Jesus! Jesus is the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? Jesus! Surely it's him. I might even think of other beacons of light, of people I think have proven themselves. Saints. But not you and me. Maybe you, but not me. But this is exactly what Jesus was telling these people. His friends, yes, but all the people who were gathered. Last week we looked at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the start of the Sermon on the Mount. These statements of blessing. And the Sermon on the Mount, it gathered people from all over. They had heard about this man, they came. These weren't the, the disciples solely. These weren't all people who knew the message that they were going to hear. The crowds were big. And he doesn't look out and say, you, Trisha, you're the light of the world. See, everybody look over here. <laughs> or you, Henry, you're the light of the world, nobody else. And maybe a couple of you. Or, or even better, 
You, Matt, you can become the light of the world. Maybe one day. No, he looks out at the crowd of sinners, the crowd of mourners, the rich, the poor, all of these people, different people from different walks of life and different careers and different stories. He looks at all of them and he deliberately says to each one of them, you are the light of the world. Even the balcony. You're the light of the world. This isn't merely an encouragement or some sort of aspirational statement, and it isn't even an invitation. It's not a challenge, it's not a goal, or something at which we can succeed or fail. Jesus isn't saying like some huckster, would you, would you like to become the light of the world? Come. Or a late-night infomercial pitching a miracle product for two easy payments, you can become the light of the world plus shipping and handling. Jesus isn't threatening or using fear. You must be the light of the world. And he isn't using a pressure to succeed, right? Be the best light of the world. Better than your neighbor. No, Jesus is looking out at this mosaic of people, people who've gathered to hear his words. He looks at each of them, looks them in the eyes and says, you are the light of the world to each of us, to all of us, to you and me. You are the light of the world. And there's something about the Son of God the incarnate one, the creator of heaven and earth and all that is in it. There's something about being called the light of the world by our Savior that should make us stop and think for a moment. Stop and think about being defined by this one in this way. You are the light of the world. And the immediate next thing that Jesus says, and, and the next thing that Jesus says, it's often the even more important takeaway. The next thing that Jesus says is that the light, your light, shouldn't be hidden. Don't hide it. Don't hide the light. You're the light of the world. Don't hide it. Now, we often interpret this instruction to mean that we're to avoid hiding our gifts or our talents by placing them under this metaphorical bucket, or as the song goes, a bushel. The focus of this scripture is often one of a challenge to us to even put our love into action, to do something, to engage. But light, light is so intimately related to darkness isn't it? On Christmas Eve, I was struck, as I am each year, by the way that we took a single flame from the Christ candle in the Advent wreath, and then in a darkened sanctuary, we spread that light of Christ. Key piece there, right? In a darkened sanctuary. You see, if we tried this today, this morning, right now, if we tried to douse the house lights and pass the flames, 
I think we'd be woefully disappointed. We'd have some flickering for sure, and it would be pleasant. There might be nice ambiance from it, but friends, make no mistake about it. Light needs to find darkness, or it is of little value. Light needs to find darkness. Jesus encourages his disciples to bring their light, the light, to bring it to a dark and broken world. This is the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ, and it draws people to its warmth and radiance. Light needs to find darkness. The mission of the church, of all churches, of all Christians, of each of us, is to bring the light to all people. This has been the mission of the church from the very beginning and throughout every age. Archbishop William Temple is often quoted as saying, the church is the only organization on earth that exists for those who are not its members. The church exists for those who are not its members. In order for the light to be seen, the light must go into the darkness, and we have to be willing to go where the darkness exists, to engage and walk through it, so that in time, the light can overcome it. We go into those dark places bearing the light of Christ. The light, your being the light, is not for your own personal enjoyment. You are the light of the world, Jesus says, go, share it. But to do this, to do this well, I do think we have some work to do, to understand how it is that we individually and we as a church are called to live into our identity as the light of the world. And even more so, we need to understand where the light of Christ needs to shine in our own hearts, in our own lives, within our own dark places. So there's this internal exploration going into our dark places to see where it is that we need Christ to shine in those places. This takes effort, and it isn't accomplished without us putting in some effort. We need to be willing to go into our darkness, to be vulnerable with ourselves and hopefully with others, to give words and recognition to our pain and our struggles and all the contours of our inner landscape so that we can begin to understand how God is bringing light into all of who we are. Equally important, though, is our understanding of what this light means and who it is that has made us the light of the world. Understanding God and God's claim on our life isn't easy. It's not just showing up. I've said this before, if it wasn't easy, if it was all clear, if it was easy, if it was all clear, if we could just download it or get it on the internet, it wouldn't be called faith. It wouldn't be faith. Our lives are about this journey of living into what it means to have faith, about what it means to follow God. And following takes effort. Seeking requires some engagement. I've shared with many of you, and I've I've shared it in, in sermons over the past several months, but it's been a little veiled. I've shared with many of you that there are three components of faith development 
that I'm hoping to see us individually and as a church work on in the coming year and beyond. This is throughout our whole lives, our journey of faith, these, these three things. And like I say, I've, I've been subtle about it. It's time for me to not be subtle. I'm going to be clear. There's room for each one of us to grow in these areas. And as we grow in them, we'll see ourselves better able to understand what it means to have light in our darkness, what it means to bring the light to the world, a world that is filled with darkness and need for the love of Christ. And the more we can understand who it is that designed us to be the light of the world. The first one I've already mentioned this morning, being vulnerable with ourselves and one another, being honest about the darkness in our lives, confronting, sharing the things that we carry in our lives. We're so good at running from the darkness, sprinting to the light switches. We don't want to be in the darkness. It's a place we want to escape often. In fact, some of us come to church precisely for that reason, to escape the darkness of our lives. We don't want to hear about it here. We want a dose of light so that we can go back into the darkness that we so often find ourselves in. But to truly experience God's love for us, we need to experience that darkness as a gift, an opportunity to encounter God, and also an opportunity to be loved and not feel alone. Second, we need to engage with Scripture. This one's easy to do but it's sometimes hard to make happen. But there are some ways to tiptoe into it. I didn't hear a lot of clicking in the pews when Condi invited you to open your Bibles when he was reading from the Scripture. You've got a Bible right in front of you. The ultimate tiptoe is that when you're at church, if reading is helpful to you, pulling it out and opening to the page even just getting that habit. But it gets easier because in the weekly connection that comes on Thursdays, you can click on the scripture for the upcoming Sunday and it'll pop it right up in a window. And you can read it right there. Even better, you can expand it and read a little bit more. You can read the chapter or just the verses around it. You can also get a little clever and Google the, the text and you're going to get all sorts of things written about it and maybe learn more than I did and stump me later. It's a good challenge. If you prefer that physical feeling of flipping through the pages and you don't have a Bible at home, talk to me. I'll give you one today. I was at someone's house not long ago and, and they were excited to show me the Bible they got at confirmation some 40 years earlier and it was in a box and they also were proud to say it's never been touched. <laughs> they can take it to Antiques Roadshow, but it's not going to help much. Open those Bibles. I know it can be intimidating. I can help. I can give you resources. I can connect you with resources and with people. Or if you're, you don't want to ask, go to the Psalms. Start reading them. Those are prayers. They're prayers of others, and you can read them. You can hear your voice and look for your voice in them, or you can pray along with those people who find their voice in those prayers. Read a gospel. 
You can read a gospel relatively quickly, or you could stretch it out over the course of perhaps Lent. In those weeks leading up to Easter, you can read the story of the one we follow. You can pick which one. If you were starting, I would look at John and Mark. They're both wonderful, but so are Matthew and uh, the other one, Luke. (laughs) Every Wednesday at 2 p.m., we gather for a very informal Bible study here at PCWS. We've been doing it for a while, over, well over a year, and pretty much since I got here. And if I've not been clear that everyone is invited, you are invited, all of you. I especially encourage uh, those of you for whom Wednesday at 2 p.m., which often means those who are retired, uh, I encourage you to come. If you've never been to a Bible study before, I really encourage you to come because this Bible study is easy. You just have to show up and avail yourself to the conversation. Our PW women gather to study this right now, the Ten Commandments. They study monthly the Bible. There are opportunities for you. You can find a friend. You have friends in church. You might have a friend in another church. Find a friend to read scripture with. I can, again, connect you with resources. Think about it. Think about a way you could find to integrate this into your life even just a little bit. Why is it so important? It's important because little by little, our reading of scripture begins to reveal to us more about who it is that we're following. Who it is that we're following. And what it means for us to be the light of the world. The third one is prayer. Prayer, together with scripture and with sharing our journeys with others, with being vulnerable with others, prayer is a way for us to continue our connection to God to understand the source of the light, but also to connect with God and to strengthen us as we seek to bring the light into our own darkness, but also into the darkness of the world. So where do you start with prayer? Next Sunday, I mentioned that after fellowship, I'll be sharing a way that I pray daily. I decided if I'm going to ask you to pray, I need to tell you how I pray. And this is a method that... um, is not mine. It's an ancient method of prayer that I've adapted and used in my life. It's one approach to prayer that I found that works for me. For others, praying the Psalms, like I mentioned, can be a way that they pray daily. Benedictine monks do it five to seven times a day. They pray Psalms. In a week, they go through all 150 Psalms. For them, that's the way to pray. For others, praying with someone else or having Someone else pray for them can be a way to learn prayer. Our Stephen ministers have been available to pray after worship every Sunday for the past five months, and I know many of you have availed yourself to this gift. I talked to someone very early in the process who said, I've been wanting to do it, but I haven't gotten up the courage to do it. And I, I thought that was very interesting. That alone was an interesting confession. The, The desire was there. 
but there was some fear. And so I get that. I get that. These, these things that are new to us, they, they take some courage on your part. It is easier, it is easier, of course, to not do them. To not try. There's no right way to pray, I will say that. Lighting a candle can be an act of prayer. Sitting silently can be an act of prayer. I know one friend for whom prayer is their morning run. I don't get that one. I'd be praying that it ended, right? Another connects with God through drawing. Some people have explored writing poetry as a method of prayer. For others, writing a letter to God. We're so good at writing cards and letters to others, writing a letter to God. I even found a website where you can type in your prayer to God. I don't know what happens when you click send. It goes somewhere. You better be careful what you're praying for. Don't put your social security number. But, but if that works for you, give it a try. I had a friend who lost someone very close to them and discovered at some point that their cell phone was never disconnected. And so she would call and leave messages whenever something was going on in her life that she would have wanted to share with her closest friend. It gave her a way to communicate in a concrete way. Find a way to do that with prayer. Pray. After worship this morning, we're going to celebrate so much of what is going on in the life of the church, and so much good is happening. The light of Christ continues to shine brightly in this congregation. Thanks be to God. And as we continue a new year together, our question as a church and as individuals must be what does it mean to be the light of the world? Who are we? What are we to do? They're not easy questions. They're not easy questions to ask here. They're not easy questions to ask in our lives, but they're the questions of our lives, right? Who are we? Who am I? What am I doing? And they get to the root of our identity. Jesus tells those people gathered on the hillside, let your light shine before others so that they may see and give glory to God. Friends, you are the salt of the earth. You are light. Our journey together is exploring what this means for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.